This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Each year, I enjoy the preparation for and anticipation of Christmas. When it comes to all the decorating around the house, I don't have to do it. I'm encouraged. I look over, my wife is smiling. But they do the decorating, and I just get to sit in my chair and enjoy it. There are a few things that I have to do when it comes to high places. Uh, But other than that, I enjoy this time of year. The greater portion of the anticipation, though, comes from being a Christian. Amen? Amen. The spiritual realities we emphasize this time of year, we don't ever grow tired of it, right? It it just amazes me what we are actually celebrating. Just a few lines from a Christmas carol can rejoice the heart. I love this Christmas music. For instance, Charles Wesley wrote this, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins relieve us. Let us find our rest in thee. Think about those pregnant words. Come thou long-expected Jesus. Well, he's already come, so what was Wesley talking about? Come back. You've already set your people free through your work on the cross. Now, presently, from our fears and our sins, relieve us. Let us find our rest in thee. And I think that that's really a reference to grace, and that will be our focus this morning. But can I just remind us, with all the crazy going on in our world right now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there were hundreds of prophecies that he fulfilled. And as Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and they watched him ascend up into heaven, what did the angels say to them? You men of Galilee, this same Jesus that you saw up go up is going to come again in like manner. Now, they didn't remind the disciples of the prophecies, but you know that there are as many prophecies predicting his return in the air and then to the earth as his first coming, and he's going to fulfill those prophecies the very same way. And I'll just use one word to define that, completely. Our faith will be sight. He came the first time and he's coming again. So take time to meditate on these things. But what was it like for those who continued to wait for Messiah's first coming? It's fun, really, to put yourself in their sandals and to think, what was it like? And if you'll just meditate on Scripture, that's why meditation is so important. It it will put you right in that setting and help you to understand that it was a serious time. Uh, It was a hard time. What was it really like? What was the true backdrop of the first Christmas? 
Now, as we consider the Christmas story, it's important that the backdrop be right, or we would be distracted from the real meaning of what our Lord did. Last week, I gave you three key parts, or two key parts, that form the backdrop of Christmas in our New Testament. First of all, remember that the genealogies are important, right? The genealogies, and then what we're going to look at this morning, Gabriel's appearance to Zacharias, form a background of grace. And we don't have to kind of read into things. We'll see this morning that there is language in the New Testament that surround these events that point directly to grace, all right? And so that's part of the backdrop. And then Gabriel's appearances, and we'll see this on Christmas morning. Gabriel's appearances to Mary and Joseph form a background or a backdrop of faith. And I love those key components because we looked at last week, for by grace you're saved through faith. Grace, faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. So when the fullness of time was come, the genealogies in Matthew 1, Luke 3 reveal that God had everything in place for Messiah's birth. Again, that phrase, and we can read over it, when the fullness of time was come. Who created time? And who created what happens in time? God. He controls it all. Okay? In the fullness of that, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, no man involved, made under the law to redeem those who are under the law. And so these genealogies are a record of grace when you consider the men and women that God used as well as the rebellion of David's line and a curse on a king that could have derailed the whole thing, but God had more to that plan, and we saw that. Now let's consider an event that also illustrates that grace is a large part of the backdrop of Christmas. You don't have to turn to these passages, but I'm going to have them on the screen for you. If you want to turn over there, you can go back to Malachi, the end of Malachi's prophecy, chapter 4, in verses 5 and 6. And again, just look at these verses. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So through Malachi, the Lord is predicting, I'm going to send someone who will be a forerunner to Jesus. And he shall turn the heart, this forerunner will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a, with a curse. And the last part of that prophecy continues to remind us that this earth has been, mankind has been on the edge, the verge of judgment from the very start. What if God just decided to give our race what we deserve? We don't even want to think about that. But in that time when man is offending God, what did God do? First he sent a forerunner. Now, who is Elijah? I thought Elijah went up to heaven in a chariot. He did. But this one would be like Elijah. 
It's interesting that when John the Baptist begins his ministry, what are they asking John? Are you Elijah? Why would they ask that? Because they knew what Micah prophesied. They were expecting it. And oh, by the way, John the Baptist dressed like Elijah. He ate the same food that Elijah did. Now, you compare Malachi 4 with the next passage I want us to consider, Matthew 11, 10 and 11. Jesus is speaking here, and this is what he says. He has just heard that John has been imprisoned. Of course, the Lord already knew that. In fact, John sends word, and he, he's discouraged. And He says, uh, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? Uh, I think John was convinced. I know he was convinced in his heart. But there are some times when in our lives, in our service to God, we just, we can offer up a prayer like that and say, hey, Lord, I'm still here. I don't think you've forgotten me, but just check it. Okay? And Jesus, after hearing about John's imprisonment, turns to the disciples and here's what he says. For this is he of whom it was written. And you'll recognize this because this is Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now that's another whole message. Uh, I would love to be able to stand before the Lord and have the Lord tell me my ministry was like John the Baptist. Oh, I fall so far short. But then I think about the words of our Savior who said, and greater works than me you'll do. What? Wow. Now, I'll never be a miracle worker. But through the Holy Spirit who indwells me, his spirit, just like the Holy Spirit indwelled him, Jesus in three and a half years did his work for the Father and accomplished redemption. If you were saved younger or you were even saved later, you're going to have more than three and a half years probably to do God's work. And by the way, we have tools today at our disposal the apostles could not have even dreamed of in getting the gospel message out and being used of the Lord. But this is what Jesus said, and he quoted from Malachi. Now, with the last two verses in Malachi 4, the last Old Testament prophet speaks. And there's going to be 400 years of silence from heaven. We call it the intertestamental period. There were 400 years between your Old Testament and your New Testament. Then in Luke 1, an angel appears to Zacharias, and heaven's silence is broken. I like how uh, Wilmington said this in his guide to the Bible. He said, radio station Old Testament went off the air in Malachi 4. But now God resumes broadcasting. Radio New Testament is officially on the air. Isn't that good? By the way, you have the script. Don't neglect the script. Don't neglect the, the precious truth that God has given us. And so when... Radio New Testament begins to broadcast again. There's a bunch of prophecy that's fulfilled. For example, the words of the prophet Isaiah in 9-2 are going to be fulfilled. 
The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. The light is shining again. Greece and Rome had darkened the world with their paganism. As we read the Gospels, we learn that Israel walked in the darkness of Judaism and the religious leaders weren't any help. But the darkness was about to be broken by an announcement to an elderly priest ministering in Jerusalem's grand temple. Now as we continue to explore the backdrop of Christmas, we're going to see that it's one of grace and several important details emerge from Luke 1 that show us more of God's grace in this Christmas story. And so you're in Luke's gospel, that first chapter. Notice the testimony of God's servants. Now, I've given you a picture of an older couple holding a baby. And let's just set the tone here from what, for what is about to happen. Imagine with me how many times Zacharias and Elizabeth, once John the Baptist is born, walking through Jerusalem, maybe up on the Temple Mount, somebody passes them and says, oh, what a cute grandbaby. And they say, nope, our baby. Okay. How many times did that happen? Wow. But let's look at who these people were that God chose them to be part of the story. Luke 1, notice verse 5. It was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both, watch, righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And what's the last word there? Blameless. What a testimony. All right. Through time, God had always had a faithful remnant. And through the Old Testament, that remnant always had a leader, a judge, a king, a prophet. However, after 400 years, the believing remnant in Israel didn't have a leader. There are pockets of these faithful people. And, it, and it's, it would probably be more accurate to say there's a couple here and there's a few over here. There weren't many. Now, what would you have done had you been alive at this time as a follower of Yahweh and believing everything that he said? See, the Pharisees didn't believe everything that the, that the Old Testament taught. They had added a lot. They were ignoring other truth. But what this remnant had, you and I also have, and that is faith in the revealed promises of God's word. These all were looking for God to fulfill what he had said. As the events of the New Testament unfold, that remnant would continue to believe what God had said and we're going to be able to see from the pages of Scripture how this happened. Zacharias and Elizabeth are both righteous before the Lord. They're blameless in keeping his law and believing what he had said. 
How were they able to live this way? Well, look down at Luke 1, 28, and we get a hint. We get some real help here. Mary's testimony is given in this verse. The angel said unto her and, and said, uh, came to her and said, Hail, thou who art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Let's take a closer look. The word favored has as its root a Greek word that simply means this. Listen carefully. It means to bestow grace. Highly favored, you have been dis, uh, bestowed grace from God. Or literally, much grace. That's, that's the literal wording there. You have been much graced. Now besides our Savior, no other figure is as important to the Christmas story as Mary. The Lord had given her much grace. That's the backdrop. And she allowed it to enable her to please the Lord so that she found favor with him. Now look at verse 30. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor. There's the word again. God has much graced you. Anything Mary was, she was as a result of God's working in her life by grace. And all of us have the same testimony if we know the Lord. You and I can find favor with God as we yield to him. The only other time that this word is used, much graced, the only other time it's used in your New Testament is in Ephesians 1.6. Take a look. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, what? Accepted in the beloved, in Christ. So to the praise of his glory, the glory of his grace, he has much graced us to the point that he's now able to accept us. Christ accepts us because of his work. Same truth that Mary had, only Mary had not yet experienced full salvation through Christ because he hadn't died on the cross yet. Now you can be part of this faithful remnant today, but only by grace. We're going to come back to Zacharias and Elizabeth in a little bit, but let's consider Joseph also. He had a strong testimony as part of God's remnant in Scripture. When he found out that his fiancée, that Mary, was expecting a child, he knew he wasn't dead. We've got a problem. Matthew 1.19 says that he was a just man and he was going to put her away, divorce her privately, break his betrothal formally, rather than make her a public example by having her stoned to death. What does the word just mean? It simply means he was a righteous man. Now, the Lord would use this same word for Elizabeth in Luke 1.6, and then later for Simeon. Remember the elderly man who's been looking for the coming Messiah and meets Mary and Joseph on the Temple Mount after Jesus is born? The same word is used of Simeon. And again, that's Luke 2.25. Now look at the kind of righteousness that Joseph had. He didn't try to protect his own reputation. If Mary's expecting and he's engaged to marry, who's everyone going to suspect? 
it's Joseph, obviously. Instead, he was merciful and gracious to her. He had already decided he's going to put her away, he's going to divorce her and just move on, but she's not going to get harmed from him. What is that? That's grace. Part of grace is undeserved favor. He's a righteous and just man. Now, when he understood the plan of God, Matthew 1 and verse 20, an angel visits him, what did he do? He followed. Instead of trying to figure this out mentally, reason it through, uh, consider his options and the inevitabilities, what did he do? Yes, Lord. Now, these are exciting events. Heaven's silence has been broken, and the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of mankind, is about to be born. God isn't using just anyone in his plan. He's using men and women who know him, who are purposing to live righteous lives by grace. We preachers have this discussion sometimes. We'll talk about the needs that we see, Christianity in general and in our churches. And I've had preachers ask me, what do you think our greatest need is? And I've said, I think Christians need to get serious. We are too sloppy when it comes to how we live before the Lord. Well... Can I get to church today? Maybe not. What's really important? Well, let me ask the wife. Did Jesus come the first time? Is he coming the second time? Do you have a personal appointment with Jesus? Yes or no? And you're indwelt by his spirit. There's a whole lot of the church that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be, oh, no, I didn't have time to get, oh, wait a minute, I did have time to get ready. We're distracted. We're not serious. Too many things easily get in the way of our commitment to Jesus the Messiah. Christians are called to be ambassadors of this one who was born in Bethlehem. Just as John the Baptist was called to be his forerunner, you and I are called to declare, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We look back on what he's done. We have the vantage point of seeing it all finished. However, a man that is not energized by grace will never fulfill his calling or a woman, or a young person. The Christmas backdrop of grace can be seen in the testimonies of these servants, but God used something else. God's grace can be seen in the timing of God's schedule. The timing of God's schedule. And again, this is where we want to enter into the story and try to, try to be there. And I, I, by God's grace, I want to try to help us with that today. Look at Luke 1 and verse 5. We've already seen this. But in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Now, of the course of Abiah, okay, 
What is that talking about? Well, these details are very important, and I give you the scripture passage. It comes from 1 Chronicles 24. But if you look back there, you'll discover that at the time of King David, a priesthood, the priesthood was divided up into 24 groups so that the large number of serving priests would have an equal opportunity to minister in the temple. That's what God had called him to do, and what a privilege. By the way, it was a privilege. They thought it was a privilege. Now, who's the temple today? I'm looking at you. Your bodies. And by the way, the Lord calls you priests too. Do you consider it a privilege to lead in worship and participate in worship to him? Now, each group of these temple priests served twice a year and each time for a period of eight days. Okay? Zacharias was a member of the group Abijah that was the eighth group and one of only four groups that returned from the Babylonian captivity. All the priests didn't come back, just those who were willing to believe God. He's part of the remnant. His, his ancestors came back. Okay? It's likely that there were many priests, which means that this was the only time or one of just a few times that Zacharias served in this capacity. Now, as this godly man enters the court of the priest in the vast temple that Herod had constructed, there's somebody waiting for him. Now, this is where we need to just step into it. Okay, have you ever walked into a room and you thought you were the only one there? And there's somebody else. Okay, and how about if they're not supposed to be there? That's exactly what this was. It was just going to be a regular day. He's privileged to be able to go and lead in the ministering in the temple. He walks in and an angel is waiting for him. I don't even want to try to act it out, but you can imagine. Huh? What are you doing here? Now, he doesn't say any of that, but... Hopefully there's instant replay in heaven. I want to see the expression on his face when he went in there that day. But here's the point. Grace shows us the timing of God's schedule. Everything was set up. Everything was right on schedule. Now, if you don't, if, or if you think this is amazing, just wait, it gets better. This couple that are far beyond childbearing age have very important names. Zacharias means what? God remembers. God remembers. What does Elizabeth's name mean? Her name means his oath. You put those two together, God remembers his oath. What did he promise? Abraham, through you all nations of the earth would be blessed. David, I'm going to give you an eternal house. Your offspring are going to sit on your throne forever. All of it points to Jesus. God remembers. And so after 400 years, as God spoke through Malachi, he remembers his oath, his promise, his covenant, breaks his silence and speaks to a faithful priest of the believing remnant that still had remained true to the Lord. And it just, 
I don't get goosebumps, all right? But man, oh man. This is shouting ground here, folks. Now, God's plan of salvation that we celebrate at Christmas is the account of fulfilled promises and perfect timing. Just as he promised to send a Savior and kept his word, so he also promised to save those who would put their trust in him, admit their sinners, and invite Jesus to be their Savior. God has a perfect time for any sinner to be saved. Do you know what that perfect time is for a sinner to be saved? It's right now. If you're here this morning and you're hearing some of this for the first time, I hope it's overwhelming. You mean that was the backdrop of Christmas? That's what really that's what really happened. God's perfect timing, but here's the point. Jesus came and was born to die because he wants to save you. Consider 2 Corinthians 6:2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I Suckered thee, have I drawn thee. What does that mean? God in his perfect timing has you here right now and the Holy Spirit is saying, please come to me. Please come to me. Let me wash your sin away. Let me give you eternal life and a home in heaven. Believe on Jesus Christ. Right now, come. Divine appointment. If you're unsaved, when does God want you to be saved? Today, right now. The perfect detailed plan that brought Jesus to this earth shows that there can be no other way and that the need for sinners to be saved is great. But <clears throat> I can't think about this without thinking this. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Imagine everything that we're considered, this testimony of grace what God planned for centuries and he brought it all together and some sinner says no thanks I'll figure it out do you think that offends God I hope you can see that there is salvation in none other but Jesus. So we've seen the testimony of God's servants, the timing of God's schedule. All this points to grace. But there's a final lesson in Luke 1 that helps us as Christians. And that is the testing of God's servants. This part is so important because God didn't look down and say, okay, who's perfect? Hmm. Oh, there's one. There weren't any of those. People just who humbly yield to the Lord, fail, get right with the Lord, take steps of faith, fail again, every day needing to recommit themselves to the Lord. That's the reality here. And even when people failed in their and his grace and their faith God still brings them along so let's consider the testing of God's servants after receiving the angelic message notice how Zacharias responded and what happened in Luke 1 look at verse 18 
And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? Let's just stop for a moment. You want to shout, Zacharias, who are you talking to? Zacharias, you're talking to an angel. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. It's an angel! How can I be sure? And then he gives the reason. I'm not so sure about this, for I'm an old man and my wife well stricken in years. By the way, Guys, if you're going to talk about your wife's age, choose your words carefully. This, this was pretty diplomatic. All right. And the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and show thee these glad tidings. This is good news. Why are you asking me questions? And behold, because of what you've just said, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. That's grace. Now, Zacharias, just because you're not believing this, still going to be fulfilled. But you're going to have to be tested. In fact, you're going to be chastened a little bit so you don't make this mistake again. The glad tidings are going to happen. And oh, by the way, Zacharias, and the angel doesn't go into this, but you can look back in the Old Testament and God visited another old couple and he gave a similar promise and instead of Abraham just asking, the wife is in the tent laughing. <laughs> yeah, right. And there, what does the Lord, he confronts it. Why is your wife laughing? I didn't laugh. He's God. He sees. Question. Did Abraham and Sarah have a baby in their old age? Is God able? Now, to be honest with you, if an angel paid me a visit, I probably wouldn't be thinking back on Scripture. I'm just trying to process, okay? So I, I want to be fair to this man, but God used testing, but God wasn't done with Zacharias. He had to learn to trust God on the basis of faith in what God said, not on the basis of reason. And he learned that lesson, and God graciously allowed him to be part of the plan. Now, up to this point, we don't know what the forerunner's name is going to be. The record of Scripture has already happened. If you believe the doctrine of inspiration, God's word was already settled in heaven. It just hadn't been given to man yet. It still needed to be revealed. And when God gives Zacharias his voice back, and they're debating, what are we going to call this kid? This is amazing. What are we going to call him? 
You'll remember that he asks for a he doesn't ask, he motions, they bring him a tablet, and with his hand he pens, his name is John. But it was already the eternal record, it just hadn't been given to man yet. Again, God's grace, and God used that man and Elizabeth. How gracious our Lord is. Christian, none of the faithful remnant involved in the Christmas story were perfect believers. That gives me hope. I am not. Paul said, I didn't fail of the grace of God. Well, what a testimony because I have over and over. Did I need to? No, I had God's grace. These faltered, and yet God strengthened their faith. He did what was needed for corrective help, and then he continued to use them. He used the faith they demonstrated in righteous living. He also strengthened their faith through chastening, loving rebukes. They all needed to have their faith grown just like you and I do. Yet God's grace enabled them to be righteous, to trust him as they were willing to believe God. And he privileged him to be part of the Christmas story. I don't think we're going to be disappointed when we get to heaven, but I think the reality is going to hit us. You're, you're going to walk down a gold street, and you're going to see some smiling sister come at you and say, hey, I'm Mike Rock. I'm... Elizabeth, I'm Elizabeth, you probably read about me in Luke chapter 1. Just people like us who allowed the grace of God to help them trust God and to step out to be used by God. Wow. Can I just express it this way? Do you know God intends to use you in the Christmas story? Question, is the Christmas story done or not? Okay, there's some hesitation. I'm not sure how to answer it. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save that which is lost. When he stood on the Mount of Olives and said to the disciples, Go ye therefore. Was that an extension of the Christmas story or wasn't it? It absolutely was. Now, based on some hesitancy here, let me support what I've just said to you. Look back again at Luke 1 and look at verse 67. When Zacharias gets his voice back, here's what happens. Luke 167, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who hath visited and what? Redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his, or through the house of his servant David. And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which hath since uh, which have been since the world began. By the way, again, let me just insert here at verse 7, 70. Enoch, how many of you remember that name? 
We found out, find out later in the Old Testament, Enoch prophesied. He was a prophet. And what did he say? The Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints. How did he know that? Well, God had given him insight into the Christmas story. Verse 71, that we should be safe from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And that's the spiritual enemy that we have as well. To perform, to perform I'm sorry, the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy what? This covenant. Part of the Christmas story? Oh, yeah. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Okay. So after receiving his voice back, he blesses God and declares the things that should have reminded him to begin with not to doubt what God had said. He knew these things. And through the Holy Spirit, he declares them. Then in verse 77, would you go there? He declares under inspiration that Christ, what Christ would do when he came, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission, the forgiveness of sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Day spring is simply another reference to light. The light that shined in darkness. You know, your day springs forward, every, the sun comes up, lots of days. But it comes up, and how do we know? Because it, you can see outside again. And just as God brings that great light into the heavens, there was a day when he sent his eternal light, the Son of God, from on high, and he visited us. Let's continue the thought, verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of what? Peace. You can't have peace if you don't know the Prince of Peace. But if you know him, you can have peace. Do you realize that this is what God wants to do, to declare the gracious story of Christmas by his grace through you. You have the same message. May each of us thank the Lord for the grace demonstrated at Christmas, for this backdrop. And would you allow God to use you to spread the salvation message of Christmas? That's your calling. That's my calling. Just as it was their calling. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for this backdrop. Lord, our hearts again are just overwhelmed as we think about what you did that first Christmas. And Lord, we're coming up on another Christmas when the earth and those on earth will pause and in many, many countries there will be gift-giving Lord, I listen to secular commercials and in the background I hear the tunes of Christmas carols. So close but so far away. And yet the human soul needs to hear the message of Christmas. Lord, that's why we're here. You sent a forerunner 
And now you have your ambassadors all over this earth still declaring Christ came. He died. Lord, you gave your life on a cross and you rose again. Now we have opportunities like Christmas programs, presentations to invite guests out. But Lord, because of the Christmas story, if we've trusted you for salvation, we each have our own story of redemption. And they need to hear the story of Christ through our story so that they can be saved as well. Help us to be faithful in these days. One of the things we can't do in heaven is tell somebody how to be saved. Our time for that blessing is now. Oh God, help us to avail ourselves of your grace. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.